Hello, and welcome to a new episode of From the Honeycomb, a podcast that creates a spark of positive energy. Here we discuss all things architecture and design, to travel, exploring Vastu Shastra with a modern approach, and I connect with other like-minded women to share their story. I am your host, Katerina Burianova, and welcome to From the Honeycomb. I am joined by Bryn Young, licensed architect and owner of B. Young Design, an award-winning architecture firm in San Diego. She is also the creator of Mind Over ARE, helping so many of us pass their ARE exams, and of course, her most important role as a mom. Bryn, welcome to From the Honeycomb. Hi, Katerina. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So as we begin every episode, we like to take a moment to kind of ground down and think of something that we are grateful for in the present moment. So Bryn, what are you grateful for? Well, you know, it's funny you say in the present moment because I had an answer, but I think I just changed it immediately (laughs) because (laughs) what I was going to say is I'm really grateful for creating a business and a lifestyle that I can kind of curate and control and it allows me to do what I love and pivot if I want to and come on a Saturday and chat with people like you when I want to. And I'm so grateful for that. But what I was going to say is that when I pivoted, I was going to say, I'm grateful for my husband because he, I just, as you were saying that I heard him in the background with, I have two kids and he was like, okay, let's go outside. Let's play. Mom's working. And he has been a really big support, which has allowed me to kind of do all the crazy entrepreneurial things that I have done. So I'm grateful for both of those things. No, no, absolutely. And I admire so much of what you've built. And I know we're going to talk about that in the episode. You are definitely someone I look up to. So I'm really excited to talk. Thank you. Thank you. You know, it's interesting when I first started this out, going into business and stuff, it was never my intent to be doing any of it publicly or, you know, sharing it with the world as much. I was a lot more closed behind doors and didn't really show my face or or show up a whole lot. I just was like, let's put my head down and do my work and go and be an architect and all that stuff. And once I started to share it a little bit more, I had more people reaching out, telling me that it was inspiring to them or telling me that they were a woman and just became an architect and wanted to start their own business or interested in becoming a mom, but didn't know how that like fit into things. And so I realized the importance of it. And I also realized that maybe my mission in life wasn't just being a business owner, maybe it was this whole other side that I would have never even imagined. So, No, absolutely. And that's actually kind of how I found you. I remember it was probably two years ago, I had two exams left, PPD and PDD. And since we're both in California, we also have to take the California supplemental exam. And I started to kind of start researching because I was like, okay, I I get NCARB. I understand what these exams are, but let me kind of start to learn about the CSE exam. And your website came up and your timeline of how you got everything done by the time you were 30. And I remember just looking at it and I was like, oh my gosh, so it's possible. If she can do it, like I can do it. And so just seeing some of your content and also it was so clear and concise because there's so much out there for the NCARB exams. 
but you had the most I found for the California exam, your kind of tips, your go-to. And so that's actually how I ended up finding you was through the CSE exams and then just seeing how much more content you have and then following you on Instagram has been really inspiring. Good. Thank you. Yeah, it's funny because I hear that a lot that people find me through the California exam and I don't really do a whole lot with that, which it's on my to-do list. I'm like, I need to go put out more for that because that you're right. There is so much lacking for that, for content. I mean, you know, there's some really great study resources, which I recommend, but there's not a lot of like, thank you for, first of all, all of that, but also noticing that the way that I explain things in my exam stuff Sorry. Also, I have chicks. I have four chicks right behind me (laughs) that are brooding. So if you hear little chicks in the background, uh, I tried to put them to sleep before, but basically live on a farm. Um, But anyways, I tried to explain things for such a dense topic like architecture exams in a very simple way that I can understand. And so I think that that has been something people appreciate is that I'm talking about complex topics and systems, but I'm kind of breaking it down in a way that it's like, okay, I can do this. And so I do want to come out with more information for the CSE because there just isn't a whole lot out there, but I always have a long to-do list of what I want to be doing. And I have, it's, I have my whole life one thing at a time. (laughs) Absolutely. And kind of taking a step back to the early stages of your architecture journey, you know, what made you become an architect and then kind of talk us through your education. Yeah. So my dad is a general contractor. So I grew up, he started his business probably six years before I was born. And so when I grew up, he had his own construction company and I just grew up in that world. So he did a lot of custom homes here in San Diego and, you know, my parents were divorced. So he was a single dad for a while. And so I would just join him on trips to work or we would go walk around projects that were in framing or just all different stages. And my dad is a one of my closest people in my life. And so he was a big influence in that. And he'd always, he was also really good at explaining and teaching, but not in a overly complex way. It's like we would walk around and he'd just explain how things work. So I was just brought up in that world and I always really loved it. My great grandfather was an architect. He actually came over from New York to San Diego uh, because of architecture, but I never really knew that. It wasn't really like a topic of our family that was really brought up. And so actually not until I was really in the process of becoming an architect was like, oh, well, you know, your great grandfather was an architect. I'm like, oh yeah, I guess I had kind of heard that. So surprisingly, that was not necessarily part of the reason, but I like to think it's maybe in the blood, that Mm -hmm. kind of design and mathematical and science side of design. And okay, so in high school, when I was like, all right, everyone's figuring out where they want to go to college, I got to do something. So I figured I would go into interior design. And I think only because when I was walking around with my dad and being a part of that world, I saw the, because he was a contractor, I saw the interior designers on the site and working with him in those final phases. And also just as a woman, I think that was just kind of what was recommended to me. Like, oh, you would be a great interior designer. 
And I didn't really ever see the architect face to face again, because it was kind of that later stage of things. So it just didn't really register. So I got into school for interior design. Pretty quickly, I realized that it wasn't actually what I loved. I did really like the whole design side of it. I liked learning about the lighting and the acoustics and and the space planning. But when it came down to like the finishes or the fabrics and all that stuff, it just honestly was a lot more complicated to me than there's not a mathematical equation necessarily that's going to tell you that this fabric's better than this one. <laughs> and to me, I'm like, that's, I need something to kind of guide me to what the answer is. And I also had a, I was interning interior designer at the time. And she said, if you love to shop, you're going to love this profession. And I remember it was early and I was like, oh yeah. But in my head, I'm like, oh no, I hate shopping. I like, I just don't, I don't ever spend my time shopping. And I have found too that like with interior design, there is a lot of that and going to showrooms and I'm like, oh, let's just choose this because I'm like, don't want to shop anymore. So that was kind of a scary realization, honestly, because I'm in school for this degree that I didn't totally love. But luckily it was still in that kind of, you know, it was in the realm of architecture. Mm -hmm. And at the time I went up to Chico State, at the time they were switching over their program from interior design to interior architecture, just Mm -hmm. happened to be doing that. So the courses that I had were part of that new curriculum. And so part of that was things like lighting, acoustics, building systems, and construction documents, and a little bit more on the technical side of things. And one of my professors was an architect. And so in his teachings, he was, he taught a little bit more on that side. And that's when I realized like, this is what I really love doing. Like I could sit down and work through construction documents like a nerd for hours and love it. And there was still the side of architecture school, like renderings and all that stuff. So that's where I realized architecture was really what I wanted to do. At that time, I still don't think I realized the breadth of what that meant. Like I didn't realize that meant six exams, plus a state exam, plus this many hours of work, plus now grad school. And I think I'm glad I didn't realize that because it probably would have scared me away from it. I was always get the bare minimum done and then get out of school type person. I I didn't want to do more than I had to do. And like, I knew I was going to go to college, but there was no way I was going to go to grad school. There was no way I was going to like try to do something hard, like becoming a doctor, you know, it's just, I don't think I had the best self-worth of myself back then because I was like, eh, I'll just, you know, do whatever I can do just to get out of here. So going to do something like architecture, if I knew what that meant, probably wouldn't have happened. But so I then I graduated, I went and I worked for my dad's company, General Construction in La Jolla, doing custom architecture. And I started out with doing bidding and kind of being the liaison between the superintendents and the architects and the contractor, which was incredible knowledge and education and seeing how that dynamic worked and looking at a ton of different architects plans and seeing what works, what doesn't, what people are doing, 
whereas we're bidding what's missing on the plans that would be more helpful. And so that experience was really invaluable because I got to see it from a different perspective than just the architecture firm. So I worked there for a few years and kind of kept going back and forth. Like I could just keep doing this. I looked at the experience hours. Maybe I could just get the experience hours instead of going back to school. But it finally came down to it. And I'm like, I I just got to do it. I just got to go back to grad school, get this degree. It's going to be one of those things that is always lurking in the back of my mind. And so I should just do it because the time is going to pass anyways. And if I just get in there and I get it done, then the sooner I'll be, I'll be done with it. And that was the best decision I made because I really loved it. I mean, school, you know, architecture school is really hard. Studio is hard. It's difficult. But that undergrad experience that I had really set me up well. So it wasn't like a whole new learning curve. So I went into a three-year program. So some of those students in there were had psychology backgrounds or business backgrounds or no experience at all in design. And I had come from a fairly rigorous interior architecture curriculum program. So when I got in there, I had already started teaching myself Revit. I was already familiar with construction documents, familiar with even presentation layouts and how you give a presentation. So it really did set me up to have a little bit of a more smooth transition. Mm -hmm. And I am really grateful for that because I can't imagine going into that program without any experience because it's a lot. It's tough. (laughs) So uh, that was the three-year program. And while I was in there, I was still working for my dad's company and we had transitioned into some design build. And I was working as the designer on these design build companies was also working for a really small architecture firm. It was like me and two people, including the principal. And we were design architects for pretty big resorts and sky rises and stuff like that. But it was just the design. And then we'd send production over to companies like Gensler and stuff. So that mm-hmm. was a great experience as well. But all of that, I feel like I'm, I'm telling you my whole life stories. <laughs> I hope you don't mind. No, I love listening to it. I was, I, I resonate with so much too. And like, oh, there's just a lot. Yeah, no, I, I'm it's, loving your story. Okay, good. It's a lot. It's a journey. Yeah. So when, so my goal was to always start my architecture firm or design firm eventually. And my undergrad, I did get a minor in business too, because I knew that I do come from a long line of entrepreneurs. So it wasn't out of the realm to, that was just natural progression for me. And so actually in 2015, I had started architecture school. And at that time, my dad said, well, you might as well apply for your business license now and just start working as your business. His thing was, the sooner you do it, the sooner you'll be able to hit that 10-year anniversary mark because you had that license at 2015. Mm -hmm. And I totally agree because if I would have waited till I was done, I was still kind of working uh, you know, I was doing this design build. Technically, yeah, Be Young Design has been around since it was established in 2015 and really because of that advice. And so I advise people, you know, it's maybe a $30 license fee or whatever. If you want to do it, just go grab the license. And now you can always say it was established then. So, so technically, while I was going through school, I did have my business. 
I was starting my Instagram so, so minor. And we can talk about the marketing side of business too, which I would love to talk about because, you know, I only have, and I say only, but I am proud of my 3,500 or whatever, how many followers I have now, but I was literally back in 2015 posting on Instagram and I I had like one project I had. I remember someone saying to me, someone said like, well, are you going to post more than just that one project? And I was so embarrassed because I'm like, well, I don't have anything more to post, but I stuck with it inconsistently for a long time. But yeah, it's like that. You got to not think of what other people are saying. Just keep on trucking. Eventually it's the slow. All my stuff has been a slow and steady growth. So I've had people now look at where I'm at and be like, oh my gosh, how did you get this project? Or I'm like, it has been a long time coming, like a, a slow and steady progression. Okay. So I'm getting done with architecture school. I have one year left. My husband and I had been married. We got, I got married very young. So we had already been married for seven years, six, no, six years, five years something like that. And we, the summer before my final year, my thesis year, we found out we were having our first baby. So that threw a little bit of a curveball at things. We were planning it, but I don't know why I'm like, I look back, I'm like, I was planning that, but also it wasn't the greatest planning (laughs) because I, I ended up giving birth halfway through my thesis year. And so it was difficult. And, but I had a really good thesis that I loved and I was passionate about it. And so I got started on it early in the summer. I had a really great thesis advisor who supported me. She was a woman and she, she could tell that I was passionate about what I was doing, but also that I was becoming a mom. And so she was really supportive. So finished off that year. My goal was to finish architecture school, go work for a bigger firm for maybe, I think in my 10-year plan, I had three years working for a big firm, then go off and start my own. And because I had the baby, it didn't make sense to go start working for someone right away. So I graduated when she was five months old and I decided to stay home with her for a little bit And just, I had a project still going under my own company. I'm like, well, I'll just keep doing this one. I'll start studying for my exams. I'll be home with her. We'd lose money right now at this point if I go work for someone because I'd have to pay for childcare unless I'd be working crazy hours. And so honestly, that's what forced me into diving just straight into it. And I do think back to it, if that hadn't happened and I would have gone and worked for someone, I think it probably would have been a lot harder to make that final jump into it. So no, I absolutely yeah. agree with that. That's kind of how I'm setting myself up is we're family planning and working crazy hours full time at somebody else's company is just not the route I want to take. Mm-hmm. So I completely understand your your plan and thought process there. Yeah, it's it's interesting, you know, for anyone in architecture who wants to become a parent, mm-hmm. it's tough. But as women, we carry the baby, we birth the baby, our bodies are sustaining the baby for the first few months. So and we're recovering. So it is different for women who are planning and becoming parents. And 
it does throw kind of a wrench in things sometimes, but also in a way, like you're saying, like it could push more of us into an entrepreneurial role, which not everyone wants, but in a way it's kind of exciting because it's like almost easier for us to go off on and work for our own stuff. We might get paid more even eventually because we can control that. We're not being held up with the hours and the expectations of a company and we have a lot more control of it. And it is amazing. There's a lot of days. I mean, nowadays I do, my husband is home. And so he is with the kids doing after school stuff and all that good stuff, but that's only been the last year. So before that it was me. So I would stop work around two and go get the kids and then hang out. And then there was some late nights that I would work, but I was able to spend that time with them and have that flexibility and take on more projects if I needed to, but also cut back if it was too much. And it really allowed me that control. No, that's, and that's kind of, yeah, exactly the the route I want to take, because like you said, it, it does push us into the entrepreneurial role and the crazy hours and just, we don't have to get into the politics of childcare in this country, but it's absolutely true. And so, yeah, your business, um, you do single family residential homes. Yes. I, yeah, we work on single family residential custom homes around the coast here in San Diego. So mostly La Jolla, Pacific beach, ocean beach along there. And yeah, it kind of, I mean, I would, I feel very fortunate to have, grown up in that world with my dad. My dad grew up here. My mom and dad both grew up in La Jolla. I grew up in La Jolla and all my grandparents grew up in La Jolla. Wow. So it's kind of crazy. It's a small town and it's a small bubble within a, a you know bigger town, mm-hmm. but it has allowed me, I do feel privileged to have grown up in just that community because the community itself is very wealthy. And so there is a lot of beautiful homes being built. Mm-hmm. My family specifically, we weren't very wealthy. We were kind of like the poor kids on the block inside this wealthy area. But my parents growing up here knew how important it was, just the education, the connections, all that stuff. And so they made it happen for us, which I feel grateful for. And that really has allowed me. Two, people say like, how do you get these projects? Well, there's a lot that goes into it, but also a lot of networking, a lot of networking, staying in touch with people, going to networking events, being connected with things like the AIA, being connected even with old friends that I went to school with and a lot of real estate agents come out of La Jolla. So even staying connected with people like that and a lot of business has come from word of mouth, which has been great. And it, it took a while to establish myself and feel confident in even what I do. But now it's nice. It's always nice with architecture. Once you can start having that portfolio to to kind of back you up, it's a little less pressure on me. I'm like, well, see here, you can look at this where before it was a lot of not sell. I mean, selling, but you know, you got to sell yourself as mm-hmm. being an expert, being confident, being professional and, and all that stuff. And and that was hard for me too, as a young woman, why should you choose my firm over an established 60 year old man's firm who's been doing this for 30 years? And so that was a whole other side of 
the business that I had to figure out and work through. And that's not taught in school. And so that was something that through experience and a lot of just figuring it out and making it work. And I'm still figuring it out. It's always a constant. Is this right? Is this, how is this when I'm, you know, estimating projects? How is this coming in with these guys? You know, all that kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah. You've perfectly led the conversation where I was hoping to go is how to get projects and marketing and networking. And you talked about, you know, marketing earlier on in the episode is, as an architecture firm, because now that I've incorporated and so my family's been asking, so how do you get projects now? Like, how are you going to do that? I'm like, that is a great question. <laughs> like, there's, there's so many avenues you can take. And so what have you found that has worked at least for your company? You, you know, you mentioned the networking. I know you go to networking events and I'm sure having that kind of connection to the town that you work in, like multi-generational connection. So there's there's a lot for, for avenues you can take. So what has worked for you? So it's so funny because when I started this, I never imagined that like one day I'd be, I almost feel like I'm a marketing agency. Like it's a, <laughs> it's, it's such a huge part of the company and I have noticed that once I really did focus on that, it my business did explode. So at first, a lot of my projects were from referrals or past clients, word of mouth. But then now I would say 50% are that and 50% come from things like online, just from Google searching. So that is huge. And that's not easy to do, especially with something like the word architect. So marketing is a huge thing. And you know what? I actually have a marketing. I did this for, cause I have a podcast too. And I did this, I worked with a, I had a marketing person on and we actually have a marketing like branding download. So I can okay. give you that link too. And, and yeah, yeah, so yeah. people can go in there and download that. Cause it is so helpful. That is really great for, if you're kind of starting out and you want to establish what your brand looks like, what your client, ideal client is, how to start establishing kind of your, your company personality. So that's a great one. So I'll give you that link. Oh, perfect. Yeah. But yeah, so I actually came up with my logo and my kind of brand while I was in undergrad. So we had a portfolio class and I came up with it then. So that was 10 years ago. That I did that. And it's so funny because so often I'm just right now going through this kind of rebranding. I don't know. Cause I, I think all the time, like I've had this for 10 years. This was just like a class thing. So where am I going to take this? But besides the logo and stuff, it's much more than that. But the branding, it's so much about who you're talking to, who you want to attract and start talking to those people. So when I first started out, I had this idea of who my client was because of who I thought hired architects. So in my mind, before I say in my mind, I was going to say it wasn't necessarily who I wanted to work with, but it was who I thought I had to work with. And so growing up and being in this world, I thought the people who design custom homes around the coast in La Jolla you know, these homes are multi-million dollar homes. My thought process is they're, they come from generational wealth. They're 
over 60 minimum. They have an idea of what an architect looks like. So I have to be very professional. I can't show any tattoos, can't show, I usually wear a nose ring. You know, I have to show up as not totally me because I need to make sure that I fit that mold of who they are. And that's really how I ran my business for kind of a long time because that's how I felt I needed to get clients. And it's interesting because a lot of my first clients, you know, I'm so grateful for them. There are some, you know, good ones, but I was noticing that there was so much, there there wasn't as much value placed on me. And I think it's because I didn't see that value that I, w- I wasn't portraying that value because I wasn't really understanding that value. And so there was a lot of price negotiations. My fees were super, super low, which again, sometimes you have to do that when you're first starting out because portfolio is good. So it is what it is. But I just had people that it's, they weren't my ideal clients. And I went through this shift maybe, I don't know, five years ago or something, maybe not even that long ago, maybe four years ago, where I sat down and I was like, okay, in a perfect world, who would my ideal client be? And I started thinking like, who would want to hire me? Like who as their architect? And it's so crazy because once I did that exercise, the universe started showing me these examples of there are people like that. There are single women in their 20s who are millionaires who want to design million dollar homes. And there's successful entrepreneurs who are women who, you know, are in their 30s and want to design these houses for them and their family. And, you know, I say millionaires only because the houses I'm designing are like, you know, multi-million dollar homes. So you kind of have to have a little bit of money for it. And Um, California. And and, and San Diego (laughs) and in La Jolla. So it's like one of the houses that we just finished they purchased the house for like 2.5 million and then did like a $1.5 million remodel. So it's, it's a little bit of money around here, (laughs) but it is interesting. And then I went to this retreat just like a year or so after I had come up with that. And it was a bunch of women who are business owners and entrepreneurs. And so many of them were like, yes, one of them specifically, she's, she, she was in Colorado, but she said, she said, we just are finished our plans. I'm working with this older male architect. She's like, if I would have had you like there, I would have hired you in a second because you are who I would have wanted to work with. Like, I want to work with someone who I can relate to. And it was just a good reminder that, yeah, we can have these ideas of, of who our ideal clients are because of who we think they are. But really, if you just get real with it. And it's so interesting since then, last few clients have all been young families in their 30s with young kids who are building their dream homes to raise their kids in. And it's been so amazing. They're on social media. They're, you know, it's just, it's so different. And I recently brought this up to someone who's in construction and their comment was, yeah, but like how many of there are there of that, like the demographic and just kind of like debunking, coming back to like my old beliefs of like, yeah, it's true. Like it doesn't really. And then I'm like, no, no, no. But if you niche down, so maybe mm-hmm. I'm just in a little niche and 
there are those people out there and they do want to work with someone who is a little different. And so all that to say, once I created that new belief, essentially, I say these words also because Katerina, I would think that mm-hmm. you're on the same page as me of Absolutely. like the universe and beliefs and stuff. So I'm yes. like, yes, you understand so are my, my listeners. Yeah. Okay. I, I figured <laughs> yeah, we are so, so. All universe. Yes. Okay. Totally. Perfect. So once I shifted these beliefs, I mm-hmm. started realizing how much more authentically I was showing up. And so on social media, I wasn't hiding behind just these like beautiful final photos of these projects. I wasn't, um, you know, cause I'm like, Oh, well, I don't want a potential client to come on my Instagram and see like this young kid playing around on social media. It's not serious or professional. And once I shifted that, that's when I started showing up. I started being so much more consistent because it was easier because I was just being me and I was able to show my face more and talk more and that's when I started growing a ton. And that's when people started reaching out more. And and now even bigger firms, bigger companies have been reaching out to me like, oh, we're trying to get on social media. Like, would you want to do videos for us or something like that? And I'm like, okay. So even the bigger firms want this because they're seeing that like, there's so much to that authenticity and the the real people behind the, the companies. It's not just the big brother companies that we used to have where it's, you know, just all polished and professional. It's like people want to work with real people. And so once I really kind of felt comfortable in my skin, showed up as myself, it made marketing easier because I was just being me. And then it also made it easier to be consistent, which is something that I've seen makes a big difference because people want to be able to rely on you, you know, if they're listening to a podcast or they're showing up on your social, they want to be able to like, oh, tune in this week. And because when I was first starting, it was, you know, I'd do a couple weeks and then I'd disappear for five months, you know, and it's hard for people to stay consistent with that. So marketing in that sense is easier than ever because you can get on social media, you can get on YouTube or podcasts or anything like that and just start putting stuff out there. I tell students all the time, architecture students, that just start putting stuff on a social media, like an Instagram or a TikTok page. Start now. Just It doesn't have to be clean. Just It can be messy, but start this portfolio. And also creating maybe renders or inspiration photos of the projects you do want, because then those potential clients come and they're like, ooh, I like that. And then I like your style even if you haven't necessarily designed it yet, they can see what you're capable of and what your aesthetic is and all that stuff. So so create something that is authentic to you, but is also your ideal projects, even if you haven't even done them yet. It's like a vision board almost. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like a digital yeah, you've, vision you, you're manifesting essentially the future projects that you do want. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love yeah. that. Like I have, I'm already like, I, I'm a to-do list person too. Like yeah. after our conversation, I'm like, I have so much I want to do because yeah, I'm fully just starting out. And so I'm just thinking about all the ways and you bring up so many good points with marketing and kind of the new generation because like my boss is 82 year old man. And so, 
the and I work with all men. And so when you bring up, you know, working with women and female clients, and I already also noticed the shift when I'm put on a project and I'm the female project manager, how I'm treated differently by the other woman on the team. And it's just, it's a different kind of trying to think of like the like relationship you end up having and you kind of relate more and the younger generations too like we're I'm noticing we're getting those younger families and it's just you're becoming that niche and I can totally understand how you got to where you got to because it's also people can relate to you and you're building a home for someone which I think is um, and I've talked about this on previous podcasts it's so intimate you're creating a space for a family so why not hire someone who kind of has a similar maybe lifestyle or thinks like you, or like we talked about universe and manifestation and like, I'm holding a crystal now while we're talking like, <laughs> you know, and finding someone who understands that or relates to that. Because then when you design and when you're being creative, because we are in a creative field too, you just, I think you can get a better result. Totally. And, you know, that's a good point too, is I was hesitant for a long time to talk about stuff like limiting beliefs and the universe Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. But like you're saying, exactly. There are people out there who are on that trajectory and they would love to have someone design their home who understands that they need a crystal wall, you know, (laughs) like they need a, you know, certain portals of their home to be in certain areas and, and all that kind of stuff. And so you know, it's, if the more you talk about it, the more you can resonate with that one single person who, you know, will speak your praise and recommend you to all their friends rather than trying to appease everyone, because there are a lot of architects. And if you can kind of specialize and and niche down, and it's true because I would say 95% of maybe even more, like 99%, of the initial consult, initial consults that I have are with the wife, if it's a husband and wife team. And so often the wife is the one who's kind of managing the project from the owner point of view. And I can imagine that it's nice for them occasionally to work with a woman to to discuss things that maybe like, they're like, Oh, well, I don't want, I don't, I feel bad. Like, I don't want to say that I want like a whole closet this big because I might be judged for whatever, but there is something with working with a woman. And yeah, I think it can be really powerful. And another woman I talked to recently, who's finishing up the design process, who hasn't loved the relationship with the architect she chose. One thing she often said, or one thing she kept saying was that he just didn't really listen. Like it wasn't really much of a conversation. It was, he's like, okay, what, what are you looking for? And she said it. And then he just went off and like drafted it up. Essentially. It wasn't like a, she's like, I don't really know what I want. I wanted to kind of collaborate and talk through it and have someone really walk me through it and, and have it just be more of a relationship dialogue conversation. And I think that feminine energy brings a little bit more of that and that collaboration and the, you know, sitting down and and chatting and so much of our final designs come from not you saying, oh, I want two bedrooms, one bath with upstairs and then downstairs, this and this. It's like, yeah, anyone could just then draft that up. But it's like listening to how they describe something like, or listening even how they describe a struggle. What's something in your house right now that's tough? Oh, 
getting up in the middle of the night when my youngest wakes up and having to like go upstairs because she's upstairs and we're downstairs, you know, little things like that, where it's not that they're saying, I want a room that is adjacent to my kid's room, but also private. So we have our own space, but it's listening to little things like that. That's like, okay, so she values being close to her kids at night. And, you know, so maybe all on the same level, do little things like that, that it is so much of that conversation in the dialogue, not just here's my scope of work. Okay, here, I'm going to go to the office and do that. So that collaboration and, and conversation and sitting and just allowing, I don't do this as much. I would love, I am actually quite an introvert, <laughs> surprisingly. I wish that I would go sit and have coffee with my clients and meet them for lunch. And I know real estate agents do this all the time and they have amazing relationships. I'm not as much that way, but if you're an extrovert and you're going to be an architect, I highly recommend that because I think that you could gain so much knowledge and information just hanging out with someone and hearing how they are as a person. Mm-hmm. Oh, that Take is great advice. advice. <laughs> yeah. No, that that's great. Sorry, I didn't mean to speak. So, oops, sorry, I hit the tree um, <laughs> to speak over you, but that is such great advice because there is so much that you'll learn from the person just by sitting and talking to them and having a conversation and getting to know them because you're designing their home. To kind of conclude in the episode, what is something or some piece of advice you would give to someone who is thinking about starting the architecture journey? Like, as you mentioned kind of earlier in the episode, now that you know the process, the exams, the grad school, the everything that's coming up, I think now also there's more information available than probably when you and I started architecture school. So what is some kind of advice you could give to someone who's thinking about going into architecture with kind of this big thing ahead of them. Yeah, I would say I have so much advice, but I'll keep it succinct, although I'm not a succinct person, as you can tell. But I would recommend not getting too freaked out by the whole journey because it is a journey and architecture is a lifelong career. And who was I talking about this recently. Oh, I just had an interview. I was like, was this the beginning of this conversation? But I just had an interview and we were talking about architecture as an identity. And so many of us as architects take on being an architect as our full identity. And it can be really tough, especially when we become moms or other things like that, because it throws throws a wrench in it. It's like, wait a second, this is a new identity for me, but it kind of breaks and pulls me away from my true identity as an architect. And that can be really tough. So two things with that one is it is a career. It's not a full identity and looking at it as that way of not getting too attached to it, but also looking at it as this is a lifelong just lifestyle and thing. And so not feeling like it has to be done tomorrow. It's going to be a journey, but it's also a really great learning process And I say all the time, if I would have, right when I started off my business, if I would have the clients and the projects not only contracted, but also even just reaching out to me when I first started, I would have been way over my head and wouldn't, I would have done terrible. I probably 
would have had a ton of lawsuits. I probably would have, it wouldn't have been good because I needed to learn a lot of lessons and slowly, gradually get up to the scopes of work I'm working on now and the business, how I run the business and even having a team and all this stuff. So it's a slow progression. And especially with architecture and design, it's really easy to look at someone, say on Instagram, who runs a big firm or has these incredible projects or has a bunch of followers or anything like that and feel frustrated or like, I'm not there yet. But understand that kind of iceberg underneath of what where they have been and what they've done to get to that point. So you're seeing them at their stage of the journey, but remember the stage of the journey you're at because one day they were at that stage. You know, 10 years ago I was at a stage of just getting started and well, I had just finished undergrad and feeling like okay, I'm ready to take on the world, but is like one slow step at a time. And so use people to inspire you, but try not to feel deterred by where they're at versus where you're at. Because if you do that, it's so easy to give up. So, and that's with the architecture exams as well. It's easy to look at someone who has passed all their exams within a couple of months versus where you're at, but everyone is just on such a different journey. and. Who knows? Maybe the person who passed all exams in two weeks felt so burned out that they took a year off from architecture. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, absolutely. Well, Bryn, thank you so much for coming on From the Honeycomb. Where can listeners find you? Yeah, thank you so much. I feel like I talked your ear off, but I, I it's so funny <laughs> I in the interviews. I usually, I'm usually not talking that much, so maybe that's why I feel that way. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Design. And over on YouTube at Be Young Design 2, I have a podcast. It's actually called Design, Create, Inspire. So that's like the kind of educational business subset of my umbrella company, Be Young Design. So you can find me kind of all over, but usually Instagram, I'm the most active. So you can come over and I'm always in my DMs. So if you have any questions or want to hang out or anything, let me know. And I will also give Katerina the link to that marketing. It's so helpful just to kind of flush out like that client branding, initial concept. So if you're start, even if you're not even, even if you're in school and you're just wanting to start out kind of that, what your brand is going to look like, and then you can start curating Instagram or anything like that to, to start fitting that brand and that ideal client. That's perfect. Absolutely. Well, Bryn, thank you again. This was, I love this conversation, just listening to you. There's so much I resonated with. I hope to have you on again. And thank you again for taking the time. Of course, we'll do it again. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of From the Honeycomb. If you liked it, please give it a heart or thumbs up and click the follow button so you can stay up to date on the latest episodes. You can follow me on Instagram at From the Honeycomb Podcast, and be sure to check out the link in the show notes to sign up for my monthly newsletter where you will receive a spark of positive energy in your inbox. Thank you so much and see you next week.